I heard a story about a guy who only attended church just a couple of times a year. And so the preacher would, would see him, and then just one Sunday, the preacher said, I'm going to go over and grab him. So he went over and grabbed him, kind of pulled him aside, and the preacher said to the man, he said, don't you think it's about time for you to join the army of the Lord? And the guy said, well, I'm already in the Lord, army of the Lord, preacher. And the preacher said, well, how come we only see you like a couple of times a year? And the guy leaned in close and he whispered, I'm in the secret service. Well, we are wrapping up our series today entitled Home Improvement, in which we've been walking through uh, the book of Ephesians in Ephesians chapters 5 and 6. And we've been listening to Paul's words about how do we... How do we navigate these waters of these key relational arenas in our lives, namely that of our marriages, uh, our families, parents with children, children with their parents, and, and even our relationships in the workplace? How do we navigate those key relational arenas in our lives? And today we come to the end of our series. We're going to wrap things up today as Paul wrap things, wraps things up as well uh, on all of these comments that he's made on, on what scholars often call the household code, which we find here in Ephesians chapters 5 and 6. And he talks to us, as we're going to end, and he ends, by talking to us about this uh, and using this famous language of warfare and combat and putting on the armory of, uh, armor of God. Because the reality is we have a very real enemy with whom we are in a very real war against. And being in the secret service isn't going to cut it. So Ephesians chapter 5, or chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Kind of a long passage. We're going to read through it, and then we'll talk about it. Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may, may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Well, as I said earlier, for the past several weeks, we've been walking through Paul's instructions to us about how to navigate these key relational arenas in our lives, marriages, families, workplace, those key everyday arenas in our lives. But then Paul shifts gears a little bit, and he wraps up this whole section by moving from talking about the visible to then talking about the invisible, from talking about the seen to what is unseen. And Paul makes it very clear that in the midst of our visible, seen, everyday relationships of marriage and parents and kids and work, there is an unseen world at work. 
and that our struggle really isn't against flesh and blood, even though it seems like that's our struggle. It seems like our struggle is, is with the people that's right in front of our face, those people we can see, those people we're in everyday relationships with. Our struggle really isn't against the people that we may feel we are struggling with whether it be a spouse or parent or child or in the workplace or whatever that may be. But ultimately, our struggle is against the spiritual forces at work in this world and in our lives and in the lives of those around us, right in the midst of all of those relationships. You know, it's interesting. When you look at the world, if you study science at all, the overwhelming majority of matter in our world really can't be seen by the naked eye. And we have telescopes to see long ways away. We have microscopes to see, you know, really, really small things. And yet, in the grand scheme of things, most of the matter in our world goes unseen to you and I by the naked eye. And yet scientists live their lives studying the unseen world because they know that what happens in the unseen, you know, microscope, microscopic uh, bacteria and, 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 and all of those things that, that, can't, that go unseen, things that we can't see out in, in space, all of those things that go unseen have a very real effect on the seen world. And Paul comes along and he says, you, you really want to know about the unseen world? And I'm not talking about what doctors and scientists and, and, and all of these things will tell you. Do you really want to know what's going on in the unseen world? Because I can tell you, whether it be in your marriage or in your family or in your, uh, your, 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 as parents or as children or in the workplace, there is an unseen world and unseen forces that have leverage on the seen world and what you see going on around you. And if we want to make some progress in our marriages and in our families and in our workplaces, then we have to acknowledge this unseen spiritual component that is at work in our lives and in the world around us. And the good news is scripture gives us some insight. Now we, it's sometimes hard for us to wrap our minds around it, but scripture does give us some insight into some understanding into where are the landmines? Where are the things that we, we can't necessarily see with our eyes, but we can trust in God? This is there, this is there, we need to be aware of this so that we can hopefully make those necessary adjustments and home improvements. So I want to just give you four things as we kind of wrap up this whole series and bring things to a close in our home improvement series that we need to realize that I think come right out of this passage. And the first one is this. We need to realize that the, our battle, this battle that we're fighting, is for ground that already belongs to us. It's for ground that already belongs to us. Four times in this passage, Paul tells us to make a stand or to stand your ground. This isn't about claiming any ground per se. Now, there, there is elements where we, we do claim ground for Jesus Christ. But in this passage, Paul is telling us to stand our ground, to, to take hold of this ground that we already are standing on. This is about withstanding and standing where God has already placed us. Now, that may not seem like a big distinction, may not seem like maybe a difference without a distinction, but I think it's very important. There's a passage in John chapter 10, 10, Jesus speaks about the enemy, speaks about Satan. Thief, he calls them in John chapter 10, 10, verse 10. And he says, the thief has come to do three things in particular, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, if I'm stealing something, it's not mine, right? It's yours. If the enemy is trying to steal something, then he's tried to take something that is not his. 
It doesn't belong to him, and yet he has come to steal and kill and destroy. The ground he's looking for to take from us is not ground that we are trying to take. It's ground that God has already given to us. It's, it's ground that is rightfully ours, that God has given to us through Jesus and the salvation we find in him. Our marriages, our families, our work, God has given us these things, and he's given us these things for our blessings. Now, I know sometimes they feel like a burden, But those things are meant to be a blessing in our lives. And it is God's desire that our marriages thrive. It is God's desire that our children are raised up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's God's desire that parents are honored by our children. It's God's desire that we have meaningful work and our relationships in those arenas are full of respect and harmony. You're not fighting against God for those things. You're not fighting against him for those. His desire is for us to have those things, to have meaningful relationships and meaningful work in those things. That's why he has so much to say about how we nurture those things and how we protect those things. And part of the reason why this is so important today is because you'll hear some people today who when they have some difficulty in their marriage, and maybe even some of us have, have gone down this path and, and had this thinking. But we, we have some difficulty in our marriage or we have some difficulty in, 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 with our kids or we have some difficulty with our parents or we have some difficulty in the workplace and we say, well, maybe it's just not God's desire for me to have good things in those places. Maybe it's just not God's desire for me to have success in those things. And that's just a flat out lie by the enemy. I, I was intrigued by... Uh, one of the battle strategies of Alexander the Great. He was a big believer in psychological warfare. And so one of the things that they would do is very interesting. They would take with them out on the battlefield armor and shields and weaponry that was meant for like seven foot tall soldiers, even though they didn't have seven foot tall soldiers in their, in their army. They would take this this weaponry and armor out onto the battlefield so in case they were maybe defeated or had to retreat or something what they would do is on the way back they would leave this armor on the battlefield so that when the other you know soldiers saw it from the opposing army they would think well holy cow these are the guys that we're fighting with maybe maybe we need to rethink some of what we're doing as kind of a way to psychologically defeat the enemy and 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 our enemy likes to play games too our enemy likes to, to, to trick us and play these games. He likes to demoralize us in a pursuit of a better marriage and a better family and a better workplace. But the reality is, while he is a very formidable enemy, and I, I don't want to take away from the power that Satan can have, he's not God. He's not bigger than our God. And so again, God's desire is for us to prosper in these areas. They've been claimed by God for us. But you and I have to make a stand. We have to want it because there's an enemy who has come to steal and kill and destroy. And the good news is there's a power available for us to make that stand. That's why Paul says in verse 10, finally be strong in what? Yourself and in your own mighty power? No, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And that leads to a second realization. If we're going to stand our ground, we've got to armor up. If you and I are going to stand our ground, we've got to armor up. Now, just to be clear, just like the power is not your power, neither is the armor. The armor is God's. The power is God's. It's all his. It all comes from him. Also note that Paul tells us to put on, I don't think it's a coincidence, to put on the full 
armor of God. To put it all on. Not just a piece here, not just an item there, but to put on the full armor of God. I think for so many of us, myself included at times, either we try to armor up in our own power. We say, God, I I know you tell me this is the armor I need to put on, but there's there's some other ways that I, I think is better to do that. We try to do it our way. Or what we try to do is put on maybe a piece here and a piece there, you know. We like the praying part. We'll read our Bible every once in a while. But maybe I don't need to put the whole armor on. Am I, aren't I just good with a couple pieces? You know, I can, I can kind of get by with that. And then we wonder why we get obliterated in our marriages and in our families and in our workplace relationships. Why am I having so many struggles in that? And I'm not saying there's still not going to be struggles. Paul still says your struggle is still going to be a struggle. But put on the full armor of God, Paul says. In verses 11 and 12. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes because, again, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. A couple things to note here. First, that p- word Paul uses for struggle is sometimes, wrestle- uh, stra- sometimes translated as wrestle. So I don't know what your translation may be, say, but some translations say wrestle, uh, fight, conflict, struggle. The idea is that of hand-to-hand personal combat. Paul says, look, this battle... This conflict is real, and it's a struggle. It's a fight. If you don't think it is, just look at your relationships. Look at the struggles that we have. Look at how some are broken. Look at how we we are struggling in those things. Look at our lives at times. It's not meant to be, but it is because we're broken people. And he says, this is a real fight. It's a real struggle. Now, again, the struggle is against, not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers that are at work, but it's real. It's a conflict. And as we talked about in this series, when we have our struggles in our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces, our tendency is to think that the struggle is with those people that are right in front of our face, the people in those relationships. But again, Paul is reminding us that our struggle is against those unseen forces that are at work, not with those people in our relationships. And the level to which we recognize who our battle really is against, I think has a direct impact as to my interaction with the people in my relationships, how I view them, how I treat them. Because if my struggle is against you, I'm going to have a real problem with you. But if I recognize my struggle isn't against you, it's against the forces of, of evil that are going on around, then I'm going to be more prone to give you a little bit more grace. I'm going to be prone to view you in a different way. Not only that, but I think it affects how I think about myself and even how I think about God. But the point is that if we're going to make a stand, we have to realize that we are, one, under attack. Speaking of being under attack, another thing to note is that word schemes. See, this is a, we we just kind of skip over this stuff. We don't like to talk about these things because, you know, we'll say things like the devil made me do it, although we don't, I don't know if we really believe that. Maybe we do. Um, That's a, not true, by the way. Devil didn't make you do anything. You, You chose to do that. But it's, we don't really like talking about the spiritual warfare kind of, language that's going on. Kind of of can be a little bit intimidating and scary. But the other word that I think is interesting, not only is that uh, the the word struggle, but this word schemes can also be translated as strategies or methods. In other words, the enemy has a strategy for how to attack you. The enemy is not sitting back and saying, well, I hope he or she chooses my way. I hope he or she rejects God and goes down this path. No, the enemy has a very real strategy for you. 
Now, he has a strategy for all of us in general because we're human beings and we're prone to certain things, but he has a real strategy for you and attacking your life and your relationship. He, he knows your vulnerabilities. And so don't be naive. The enemy is after us and he's scheming for us. And our only defense is to rely on a power that is outside of ourselves, a power that's bigger than us, and to put on the full armor that only God can give, to put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, to, to, to have our feet fit with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, to take up the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, because the only way we're going to be able to make our stand is to armor up. Secondly, or thirdly, I should say, if we're going to stand our ground, we need the help of others. You and I need each other. We need each other. What Paul describes here is a group effort, not a lone ranger endeavor. This is not an individual. We live in a very individualistic society, but that's not what Paul is painting here. Throughout this passage, Paul uses the word you. Now, when you see that, you just it's easy to think you as in you as individuals, but really that's not singular you, it's plural you. Or as we sometimes say in the South, y'all, you all, right? It's all of us. Paul's speaking to all of us as a group together. Also, five times in that last little section, Paul talks about prayer. And at least three of those, he's explicitly talking about praying for others, further emphasizing the fact that if we're going to make our stand, we've got to do it together. The call is to do it together, not only because we ought to, but because we have to. We need each other. In fact, it's interesting. You know, if Paul's going to use this language, he's probably using it for a reason, right? So when you look back at the Roman, um, you know, how they did things and how the, the Roman army operated, uh, a Roman soldier couldn't put on all of his armor by himself. Couldn't do it. He couldn't put on all of his armor by himself. Parts of it he could, but not all of it. Like the breastplate. He couldn't put on the breastplate by himself because of the way it wrapped around his body. Or even buckling his helmet or taking up the shield because of the sheer size of it. The point is that he couldn't completely armor up in his own strength, in his own ability. We need help from each other when it comes to putting on the armor. And sometimes, to be frank, we need help when it comes to even recognizing that we do need to put the armor on in the first place. That there is a battle going on. We need to be reminded of that and we need help in being reminded of that. And so a very real practical question. I, it's, I, I think it's a good question for us to ask. Who do you have in your life that's help, helping you to put your armor on? Who do you have in your life that's helping you to put your armor on? And maybe another question alongside of that is, who are you helping to put their armor on? Because we need each other. And one of the enemy's tactics is to convince us that we don't really need each other. That I can do this, I can figure this out by myself. But we can't. We need each other because you're not going to be able to stand your ground alone. It's going to, going to take and require a group effort. One of the best examples of this, if you've seen you know, Roman warfare, is the, the idea of the Roman phalanx, right? And so you had the front lines where they've got these big shields and they'll march in the front line, the front rank. And they've all got their shields up. But right behind them, each row subsequently behind them has shields where they kind of place above their heads, right? And so they buttress, the, they've got the front line and then each subsequent line behind that buttresses up their shields behind the line, behind the line, behind the line, so that the enemy can't penetrate. Swords, spears, arrows, 
can't get in. And isn't that a beautiful picture of what the church ought to be? And yet so often we're fighting our own battles. We're fighting our own wars. And we're not really helping each other and fighting alongside of each other. I don't know how many of you have seen, I've used this example before, um, but I, I love the movie The Gladiator. I don't know how many of you have seen that movie. It's the story of a Roman general named Maximus, and he's the favorite of one emperor who then dies, and he becomes the nemesis of the next emperor that, that comes into power. Eventually, he becomes a slave because he's too much of a threat to this new emperor. He becomes a slave. He's sold, and he eventually makes his way back into, uh, into Rome as a slave who's fighting then as a dressed-up gladiator. And in one particular uh, scene, he and the other slaves who are all dressed up as gladiators are thrown right into the floor of the Roman Colosseum, right in front of this huge crowd. They're all cheering. And, and Rome's got this idea of how this, the Battle of Carthage is, is, is supposed to go. And so the, the slaves dressed up as gladiators are supposed to lose this battle. If you know the story, if you've watched the movie, they're supposed to lose this battle. But if you've also seen the movie, you know it doesn't go according to plan. But there's a line that, that he says right before everything goes down that sticks out to me when I think, this, I think about this idea of, of needing each other and staying together and relying on each other. He says, whatever comes out of those gates, maybe some of you remember this line. He says, whatever comes out of those gates, we've got a better chance of survival if we stay together. Whatever comes out of those gates if we stay together, we've got a better chance of surviving this thing. If we stay together, we survive. And I think about that in terms of the Christian walk. Whatever comes out of those gates, we stay together. Because when it comes to standing our ground against the enemy, we need each other. And you're going to get chewed up if you're trying to do it by yourself. And then finally, we have to realize, I think, that standing our ground is ultimately for the sake of advancing the kingdom. Last verse here in this section, Paul talks about fearlessly making known the gospel of Christ. Because you see, soldiers aren't just suited up, armored up for themselves. They're armored up for protecting and advancing the kingdom of the king they serve. That's why the Roman army armored up. That's why every army in the past has armored up for the sake of advancing the kingdom of the king that they serve. Getting armored up and standing our ground isn't just for the sake of me having a better marriage or a better family, better children who behave, you know, better relationship with my parents, although those things are nice, right? We want our marriages to be better. We want our kids to behave. We, we, we you know, want our, 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 our families to go in a, in a certain direction. It's not just for the sake, though, of me having better relationships at work and, and for that going more smoothly, although those are good things getting armored up and standing up my ground isn't just for the sake of, of me getting my stuff together. Getting armored up and standing our ground is for the sake of advancing the kingdom of the king we serve. That's why we do it. That's why we sing songs like, you know, I'm in the Lord's army, not so that I can put on the armor and I can look good and I can have my stuff together, but so that we can advance the kingdom of the God that we serve. And so that the quality of our marriages and our families, and our jobs become a witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why the enemy goes so hard. Why do, you, why do you think the enemy hits our marriages, and our families, and even to a lesser extent our workplaces so hard? 
Because those are some of the best testimonies for the gospel of Jesus Christ working in us and through us and impacting the way that we live and the way that we treat each other. And so the stand that you and I make isn't just for our own sake, but it's for the witness and testimony of the gospel in our lives and through our lives so that others may take the stand just as we have. Let me ask you this. You want to buy a product from someone who doesn't use it? Nobody does, right? But when people around us see a certain quality of life in our marriages and in our families and in our workplaces, they're willing to give it a chance. They're willing to say, you know what? They've got something that I want. They've got something in their life, in their marriage, in their families, and it's not perfect. It's not picture perfect, but they're giving grace. They're receiving grace. They're doing things in a way that doesn't make sense to the world. They've got something in their life, in their marriage, in their family, in their workplace, and I want that. And so we need to get armored up and stand our ground, not just for the sake of ourselves or for those that we love, but for the sake of advancing the kingdom of the king we serve. So I ask you to stand. In just a few moments, we're going to, right now, I mean, stand. Yeah, you can stand. Don't be like the kids. I want you to stand up. So... <laughs> In just a few moments, normally I know we do a little bit things a little bit different. We stand uh, after I say prayer and after we um, sing a song of invitation. We'll do that in a minute. But I, I want you to stand because obviously there's a metaphorical meaning here. But I hope for the sake of us that we don't just stand right now. The goal is not just to stand here on a Sunday morning and proclaim, yeah, we want to we stand up for our marriages. We want to stand up for our families. We want to stand up for the workplace. And then we walk out the doors and we, we act like none of this even matters and we're going to do, do things our way and we're going to kind of work through the week on our own. My prayer and my hope is that we won't just stand here right now, but we will walk out those doors this week and we will stand up in our lives, that we will stand up in our marriages, that we will stand up in our families that we will stand up in our relationships and our workplace, that we will stand up for the glory and the kingdom of the king that we serve, that we will stand together as we combat the enemy's schemes. And no matter what comes out of those gates, listen, I know for some of you, what's come out of the gates and what's ahead, maybe in, in seeing what's come out of the gates, it's not good. I get that. But here's what I know. No matter what comes out of those gates, we have a better chance of survival if we stick together. And we have a 100% survival in this life of having eternal life when we are found in Jesus Christ and we are in his army under his protection. I hope we take that with us and that we stand not just here, but out there in the world around us so that they may see the glory of the king we serve.